We're into a new book, Nehemiah. Let's read chapter one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakeliah. Now, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the palace, Hanani, one of my brothers, came, he and certain men out of Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had escaped, who were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant who are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and mourned for several days, and I fasted and prayed before the God of Yahweh, and I said, I beg you, Yahweh, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open that you may listen to the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you at this time, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants. While I confess the sins of Israel, which we have sinned against you, yes, I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I beg you, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you trespass, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts were in the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place that I have chosen to cause my name to dwell there. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, I beg you, let your ear be attentive now to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And please prosper your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So we're into Nehemiah chapter 1, and uh, we've met Nehemiah, and you notice that it's written like an autobiography. It says, I am Nehemiah. <laughs> I mean, everything that happens, it's just it's him describing what happened to him, what he did. And that's pretty cool. Nehemiah means the Lord comforts, and this whole book is, is an example of that. It's about the Lord bringing comfort to Israel. The last book, Ezra, means the Lord, it means help, or the Lord helps. So we've got two books, which means help and comfort, and it's what the Lord was really doing for his people at this time. They'd been through a terrible patch, they'd been punished and disciplined, and then after the punishment, the Lord sent help and comfort, Ezra and Nehemiah. <laughs> Have any of you ever had to discipline your children and you felt really bad, but they, you had to do it? There's no, no getting around the fact that discipline was required, but you felt so bad, and after they learned the lesson, then you poured on the comfort. <laughs> well, see, that's what the Lord is doing right here. So in the last book of Ezra, it's, it's you know, that book finished, and it's now been 12 years to this book. So this book, believe it or not, Nehemiah, is around about 140 years after the Israelites went to, the, the people of Judah went into captivity. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar came in 586 BC and destroyed the city and smashed down the walls. This is about 140 or 141 years later. It depends on who you believe <laughs> with commentators because the the uh, chronology, like working out the timing and the dating of these two books, 
is notoriously difficult. And because um, these two books weren't written to really give you a clear outline of time, and some of them seem to jump backwards and forwards a bit in the telling of their stories, and commentators, some of them don't agree, but we do know this is a fair while after Nebuchadnezzar came. So, you know, I, it seems like about 140 years later. You wouldn't realize that when you read it, but it's been a while. So, you know, uh, Nehemiah, he's, uh, he's in Persian Empire. He's serving the king. We'll get to that in the next chapter. And uh, people have gone back to Israel, gone back to Judah and Jerusalem. Cyrus sent them back to rebuild. We learned about that in the book of Ezra. And then later on, he sent back more people with Ezra and they started to, you know, they, they finished off the temple. So stuff's been happening. People have moved back, but uh, the walls have not been rebuilt. And so Nehemiah is there and some people come from, from Jerusalem and he asks, how are things going? And they say, terrible. <laughs> the walls are down. The gates have been burned with fire. Now that is not a recent development. Uh, that's an old development. That, that goes right back, like I said, 140 years ago to Nebuchadnezzar. But I guess Nehemiah just didn't realize that it was never rebuilt. And he realizes, wow, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not safe to be there. It's, it's, it's not good to be there. Things are in a bad state. And he really takes it to heart and it bothers him and he goes into uh, intercessory prayer. So you notice in his prayer, first of all, it begins where he has a burden. He's bothered by it. It's a, it's a little bit like if something bad happens to one of your kids, immediately you just feel bad and it's a burden to you and you want to do whatever you can. Well, spiritually, that's what it is. It's something's happened that, that matters to you. You're burdened and immediately you go to prayer and it's intercessory prayer because he, he takes on the sins of the people. He says, Lord, we have sinned. The fact that he wasn't there personally, he wasn't responsible for the sin which caused Jerusalem to be destroyed, and he's not even living there, the fact that doesn't matter. The fact is that he takes upon the sin on him because he is one of this people group. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, imagine you're the, the um, you know, the ambassador of some country and you have to go to another country and you have to speak a message you're not speaking on your own behalf, you're speaking on behalf of your whole country. You're speaking the words of the, you know, your president or your prime minister and what you say, you might say, you know, we the citizens of blah, blah, blah. Well, it's similar to that. When you step into intercessory prayer, you're a person who has sinned as well. You may not have done those exact sins, but you have sinned. And when you're, when you're coming to the Lord, you're praying on behalf of all these people, including yourself. So he goes to prayer, and um, so we see a great example of him. And he says, Lord, remember your words that you said to Moses, that you would forgive, that you would restore, that you would bring people from even the uttermost place and bring them back. And so he's praying a prayer of intercessory uh, nature. Now, cities in the old days had walls. And uh, in the New Testament, the body of Christ um, or the church is compared to a city. The Bible says, going way back to Abraham, in it says he was looking for a city whose builder was God. Now, Abraham probably thought he was looking for an actual city, um, you know, a physical one. But it turns out it, it is an actual city, but it's a non-physical one. We often think that physical things are the real things, and then God uses real things to make metaphors for things that are not as real. But no, God uses real things to make metaphors 
to show us as a metaphor for things that are more real. So we couldn't understand what God was trying to do unless we knew what cities were. Cities are where people live closely together and they're in community. And so the New, New Jerusalem is the body of Christ. It says in the book of Revelation, a city dressed for her husband. So the church, uh, the bride of Christ, is a city being prepared for him. And, uh, you know, the bride, it says, had to make herself ready. Well, that's the church. The church has to get herself ready for Christ. So you could say that the body of Christ today is a city with no walls or a city that's not been built yet or a city that's been torn down, kind of like this Nehemiah example. So you've got the city of Jerusalem, which is a picture of the church, and here it's in a state of disrepair. The city has started to be built. People have started to move in, but there are no walls. There's no protection. It's a terrible time. And so we could look at the body of Christ and say, you know what, we have a city. We are the Lord's people, but we're in a terrible state. The walls are down. We're vulnerable to enemy attack. And just the realisation of the state of the church should be enough to put us into the same burden that Nehemiah had for the city back then. So what we see here is a picture of the calling that is on us to pray for God's people and to pray for the church. So when you look around the town or the city or the country that you're in and you notice that churches are not cooperating together, they're working against each other, well, that is an example of the walls being torn down. There are no walls. There's a free-for-all. The church isn't uh, one body that loves it, that loves each other. It is competitions and factions and strivings and pride and everything goes. It's the Wild West. <laughs> it's not how the body of Christ should be. So we're called to like Nehemiah, into intercessory prayer, which means repenting for the exact same sins because we've done them too, and saying, Lord, remember us. Restore your church. And then, as we'll see in the rest of this book, taking responsibility to build those walls because the body of Christ needs it. So that's what we're trying to do here in Rockhampton. We're trying to establish a church. Now, that doesn't mean all the congregations have to meet in one place. No, we can still be free to be ourselves but we're to, to realize we're a part of a body. We belong to each other. We work together. We have one Lord. We love one another. The differences we have are actually good because if we weren't different, we weren't, wouldn't be a body. You know, imagine an arm being disappointed that it wasn't a leg, you know, like saying, you know, I wish we would all be legs so that we could be one. No, that wouldn't be one. <laughs> that wouldn't be functional at all. So the different congregations and the different ministries, they're parts of a body and they're good it's not individual people alone that are parts of the body. It's all the different components of the body. Like, you know, a certain church is great at feeding the poor and, and lots of different ministries in the city all together. If they're functioning together well and appreciative of each other, that's a body. So, and of course, Christ is the head. But when you don't acknowledge Christ as head in the sense that you do what you want and not what he wants, <laughs> then you've got a crazy mess. And that's a walls, that's an example of a city with the walls down. So we're going to be going through this book now and exploring the idea of a city with no walls and building those walls. It's a highly important idea and important concept. It's not just important to know about the history of the Bible, which we're doing through this Bible series, but also to know about, you know, the need of the body of Christ right now. So you're a listener to me, and you're called to take this position that Nehemiah took of intercessory prayer for the body of Christ.
Thank you, Lord, for Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord, that his name means the Lord comforts. And Lord, I ask you to comfort us. I ask you to remember us. And Lord, remember what you said to Moses, that you would draw your people and restore them. And I ask that you would restore the church. I pray that you give us grace to put the walls back up, to love one another, to be a city unto the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.